Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is the Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC has entered its last layoff week, the last week without an event, so we have brought back one of our favorite segments, the Combat Countdown, and we will be counting down the five fighters most likely to go from unranked to a title shot in 2023. Our list last year included Alex Pajeda, who not only went from unranked to a title shot, but won that title shot as well. We also had Aaron Blanchfield on there, who is, of course, a a big name and pretty darn close to a title shot. So you're going to want to check out this list to see who is on it this year. Plus, as always, we're bringing you the interviews you know and love. This weekend is LFA 148, so we will be talking with two of the fighters on that card, both flyweights. First, I'm going to talk with Anho, and later on with Felipe Bunes. But before we get to any of that great content, I have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by Pickett. Picket is the social betting platform that allows you to sync all the action from your sportsbook accounts in one nice, neat little spot. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all the bets that your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well. Plus, it's a great place to build a following. If you're in the sports betting world creating content, it's a great place to get that audience up. Now, whether you are a new, a regular, or an experienced better, stop what you're doing, start tracking your bets, and join the Picket community today by downloading the Picket app on the Google Play Store or in the App Store. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is Anho, who fights Edwin De Los Santos at LFA 149. That fight is on January 6th. So, on, I wanted to start here. You are coming off of one of the most viral knockouts in LFA history, a highlight reel head kick of Matt Barrow. It, it literally took him off of his feet. Did you feel the love across media? Did you feel like you got a, a whole bunch of hype in just your second pro fight? Yeah, I, I really did feel, uh, felt like I got a lot of hype behind me now just from that kick, but I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm always like a, a grounded person, you know, and I, I know that the people around me are getting me better. And, and uh, those, those are the people who I love most. I like that. I like that. Now you, you work out at the MMA lab, if I'm not, not incorrect here, what, what people sort of do you surround yourself with at the MMA lab who, who help you with that mindset? Oh man, we have, we have a group of elite fighters, um, a lot, a lot of people in the UFC like Kyler Phillips, uh, Casey Kenny, Sean O'Malley, and uh, Jerry Cannonier who's actually fighting this weekend. And uh, I, every day, man, I, I have an opportunity to train with all those guys, and uh, you know, we we help each other get better. I love it. I love it. Now, you you mentioned, or I mentioned rather, that you were getting a lot of hype in the media. Saw a lot of those highlight reels of that knockout out. Were people also hitting you up on social media? Did you were you like flooded in the DMs? Oh yeah, it was like right the, the next day. It was like it was so much, so many messages, and uh, I I try to I try my best to get back to everyone, and it, it just it took like literally two three days just to get back to people. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Now we we're gonna talk a little bit about your upcoming fight, but before we do that, 
I want to talk a little bit about your amateur career because, you know, it says only 2-0 and on your record, but you have a long amateur career background. In fact, you've been fighting since your 18th birthday, or right after it, rather. Did you always yeah. know that you wanted to fight? What, what got you in it so early? Uh, it, it was just something deep inside of my soul that I knew. Right when I found martial art, I just knew. I just, I, I just knew it was for me. And uh, I just kind of stuck with it, you know, and, and I've just been training ever since. And what was the martial art that sort of kicked you off? Were you a, a Taekwondo kid as a child? Like, what what got you into it? And, and maybe how old were you when it happened? Uh, so I found martial arts when I was 14. Uh, I, I couldn't speak uh, English enough just to, like, make friends and stuff at school. So it was kind of hard for me. And uh, I remember this one this one time I found a UFC gym right across from my, uh, from my school. And uh, right after school, I would just go over there like every single day. I would be just over there until like until they close, and I would take every class. And um, I I actually started with MMA, and but the thing I love most is striking. But I started with MMA overall. All right, so I have I have so many questions off of that that answer. First first of all, I gotta know you you only spent four years in the gym before you made your amateur debut. Four years of martial arts training of any kind. At all? It w- was there some other athletic background back there? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I just, I just, it was just like, it was just something that I picked up really fast, and I felt like it was just for me. Like I, I don't know, I felt, like, I always felt guided, you know. And it was all, it's like right when I found it, I just knew. That that's awesome to hear, and that is insanely fast to start fighting. Now, I also want to ask too. You know, you mentioned not not speaking English and and not really making friends in high school. When did you you move to the United States, and when did you start picking up the language more often? Uh, so I moved here when I was ten years old. I didn't I didn't know any English. Um, I came over here with my mom, and uh, it was just kind of like uh, they just kind of threw me in school, you know, like in fifth grade. I didn't speak any English starting like fifth grade. So that now I'm thinking back, like holy shit, that's crazy. And uh, and uh. Yeah, I, I lived here for – what was the question again, sorry? So so I, I'm just – how quickly you were picking it up then because, you know, like like you said, you, you were 14 and, and you were working out in, in gyms. Like did, did that kind of help you develop the language? Uh, it was just like – it was just me going to school, and uh, I remember going to class. I have like a substitute teacher that would pull me out, and she'll teach me like words uh, on like the flashcards, and I just kind of picked it up. Well, that you, you've got to be a quick learner in order to make a debut just four years after MMA. And obviously, four years after you moved to the country, you're, you're training. So, you know, props to you for being as quick learner as you are. Now, I, I do also want to ask, you know, you stuck around the AMI ranks for kind of a long time, right? Like, you were having wild success. I'm looking at your record. You know, you got plenty of tap outs and knockouts in there. What, what sort of made you stay as an AMI as long as you did? Uh, it was just the fact that I couldn't turn pro. Uh... I couldn't do no I oh, actually it was the fact that I just I just wanted to have more experience. I was going to say that the fact that I couldn't turn pro but I I was 18 that at that time already. But I was mostly uh, before the amateur MMA career I was doing kickboxing as well and I I always knew I wanted to be a fighter and right when I turned 18 that's when I started my amateur career and uh a lot of the coaches at the gym just tell me like just take your time you know like you're still young and you need more experience and so um i just i just did exactly what they told me i like that now you you mentioned 
that you kind of took to the striking arts more than you took to the grappling arts, despite the fact that you started in MMA. But if you look back at that AMI record, that's not the case. You know, I'm looking back at your AMI record. You got three rear naked chokes in there. You got some ground and pound finish in there. Like, is there a reason why you had so much grappling at the beginning, maybe, and, and now you're a little bit more strike heavy? Uh, it was just the fact that, uh, like, people people can't get past my striking, I feel like. And uh, when they get past my striking, that's when I, I'll start going into the ground and people start seeing my ground game. But so far, so far they haven't they haven't um gone into the, the ground game yet well and i'm glad we have it because we've seen two spectacular finishes since you turned pro and i want to talk about that kind of hype right because it's not just the head kick knockout that took mac Barrow off of his feet but we're talking about a spinning back fist finish before that it, it, it's something that gets on dana white's radar right like everybody knows dana white loves the flashy knockout dana white loves the guy who goes out and finishes and he's actually got a history of bringing guys into the contender series and things like that at, you know, 3-0 and or 4-0. and Is that something you're thinking about this early in your career? Or are you, you know, you're, you're thinking of a little bit longer of a road here? Man, I would love to go into contender series or into the UFC as, as quick as possible, you know? this is I've, I've been doing this since I was, like, a little kid, like 14. And now I feel like I'm I'm ready. I'm training with a lot of a lot of elite fighters, like, Sean O'Malley. I I was Sean O'Malley's main training partner for his Peter Yan fight. Actually, and what's what's that like experience wise? Then tell me, do you feel like you get more out of that than a fight? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I always felt like training was a little bit harder than the fight, the actual fight, just because you just because like uh, you and your your training partner know each other's game, right? So it's like you know each other's moves, so the next time you see each other, it's almost like you have to come up with another answer or they're going to get the better of you. I like that mentality. I like that mentality a lot. Now, you mentioned the training partners are harder than it's ever been in the cage for you again. You're about to get in the cage in just a little while again on January 6th against Edwin De Los Santos. Obviously, not a ton of film out there about Edwin Dos Santos, but I like to end these with a prediction. So what do you think of your opponent and how do you see this one ending? I think he's a he's a striker. Obviously, watching his films, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna come out. He's gonna keep his distance a little bit. Obviously, I don't want to give away my game plan in case he's, in case him or his team is listening. But I I have a prediction that I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna try to finish him in the first round. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This is Ben Anho, who fights Edwin De Los Santos, LFA 149. That fight once again is on January 6th on. Thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me on. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Anho. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I usually uh, start these episodes with some sort of quip about what's going on in the MMA world, but here's the thing. Uh, nothing's going on in the MMA world. We are in the third straight dead week. I mean, unless you watched the boring decision fest that was Ryzen versus Bellator, so... Uh, I'm going to leave it up to you. Should we just get right into this combat countdown? Well, hey, let me say, I am excited about this combat countdown. We're doing our yearly tradition of predicting unranked fighters who can get title shots within the next 12 months. And you could go back in our archives. We've been pretty spot on with some of this stuff. Uh, you know, last year we 
<clears throat> of course, nailed. Um, Alex Pajeda. On his name, right Alex Pajeda. <laughs> Alex Pajeda. We nailed him, and I think we were even close on. Um, uh, why am I blanking again on? Uh, who's my girl Manel that Thoreau? I love? Uh, oh, Erin Blanchfield. Even though she didn't get it, yeah, she didn't get it within this calendar year, but. You know, clearly she's going to get a title shot soon. I think maybe in this next upcoming year, she was unranked in 2021. We had her in there, so I was proud of that one as well. So, yeah, Gumby, let's get to our one of our favorite segments on the show. It's the Combat Countdown for unranked fighters who could potentially have title shots in the next year. But before we do, does anyone sponsor Absolutely. This? The Combat Countdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's time that you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a big share of cash prizes in their weekly blackjack tournaments. Sign up at MyBookie and use promo code TOPTURTLE on a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Once again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus designed for bettors looking to get their cash in and out quickly. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Love my bookie. Love my bookie. Love my bookie. Okay, let's get right into it. So we actually have a banger of a list here. Let's get the honorable mentions out of the way. These were guys on the cusp but just didn't make that top five cut. We have Kai, Bohio, and Bruno Yeah, Brazil. so first of all, I liked putting both of these in honorable mention because they come from the same gym. Kai, Bohio, I feel like should be higher up on this list, except for the UFC doesn't seem to be pushing him fast enough. Uh, he's had a couple of co-main events already on like some really truly terrible Apex cards. He's 3-0 and in the UFC, but he's in that middleweight division that's kind of bogged down for the new year. Uh, and, and I think just like the idea of him getting a title shot is kind of a longer one. In Bruno Brazil, I know she hasn't debuted in the UFC yet, but I was so impressed with her on Contender Series with that big, massive head kick knockout. It might have been the best knockout at all year in Contender Series. For her physical strength and ability levels, like, I think she's got such potential in a division that doesn't have a lot of, like, brutally physical women in it right now uh, at 125. Like, so I think she could make a huge run there. But again, uh, you know, having not debuted, she's just barely off the list. All right, well, let's get to the real list on the top five, and we'll start with number five, Jack Della Maddalena, and he's a welterweight, 3 Yeah, so I love Jack Della Maddalena. I've made no, uh, no, no, I've left no stone unturned. What's the, the now Jim going for? Whatever it is. Made no bone of contention. Yeah, yeah, well, I like that one, too. So I've always loved Jack Della Maddalena since he was on Contender Series. He made a huge run last year. The only thing really holding him back from being, like, the best prospect on this list, and he might actually be the best prospect on this list, is that that's just such a tough division to make a run-up, right? He's making such quick work at everybody he fights. Beat the hell out of Danny Roberts, which is really impressive. But at the end of the day, welterweight, it's got a really big logjam, kind of similar to Kai Ohio at middleweight, big logjam at the top. So until we get to see him, you know, sort of fight one of those top contenders, it's going to take a little bit longer, but I totally think it is possible for him to get like a late replacement fight or a big fight against somebody uh, and, and possibly get a title contention somewhere around December. 
I like it. Um, we'll move then to number four, Tatsura Taira, a flyweight. So flyweight is notoriously one of the thinnest divisions in the UFC, so it makes it a little bit easier for Tyra. Um, he's also really young, so there is a possibility that they don't move him up too quickly. But in his two fights in the UFC before so far, he has shown that he's an absolute wizard on the ground. That armbar over CJ Vergara was just absolutely outstanding. I think he's got really big potential. I think there's a great chance that he possibly flies up this division way faster than people realize and it's a division that needs a little turnover in the middle too so given the right opportunity wouldn't surprise me to see him fly up the division fly up the division and fly away we'll move then to our first female uh and we have chelsea chandler uh women's yeah so first of all it's hard not to be ranked at women's bantamweight right now i I don't think they have much more than 15 fighters but for some reason Chelsea Chandler is not one of the ones ranked, and I personally think she's got a great chance of making a quick run up this division, too, because she has got great hands. She looks phenomenal when she's boxing. Uh, she comes from that Nate Diaz-trained background. I mean, sometimes she just wings it a little bit, but she, she looks great on the feet. I think she's got great skills on the mat, as she showed in her debut fight. And, of course, we were just talking about flyweight being a very thin division. Women's bantamweight is stale and thin, both. Uh, you know, like we were talking about last episode, who's going to get the next title shot. And it was like, I don't know. Do you just give it to Ketlin Vieta or do you just give it to Irene Aldana? And nobody really believes either of those two women are going to give Amanda Nunes any trouble. So I could see Chelsea Chandler doing it. I could also see her move into 145 pounds and possibly getting a shot there because she's fought at 45 in the past. So uh, I think Chelsea Chandler getting a title shot as an unranked fighter is a, a decent possibility in 2023. Uh, we'll move then to probably our most high-profile name, and this one feels sort of like Alex Pereira because it's somewhat easy to predict, and you know I think middleweight <clears throat> does need some challengers, and this guy has a ton of hype behind him. It's Bo Nickel. At yeah, so the thing about Bo Nickel, obviously, is that Bo Nickel is, uh, hasn't fought. He's only got two pro fights in his whole career. He's never fought in the UFC, so it, it seems wild to suggest that he could make a run all the way to the title, but it seemed kind of shocking that, that Alex Pajeda would too. But at the end of the day, he's such a high profile. He, the, the UFC clearly loves him. They seem to be slow playing him a tiny bit, right? Because they originally were going to book him with Jamie Pickett for his first fight, which is, it seemed kind of like a layup. But like he clearly could be on a fast trajectory. Like if he goes in, he brutalizes his first opponent. We could see him turn right around and fight somebody in the top five or the top 10, just to see if he could take out Pajeda or is he at the top? Um, I will say the only thing again, that keeps me from saying, yeah, like definitely him at number one versus the guy who I'm about to say at number one is middleweight's a little log jammed. And they do seem to be a little bit more careful in booking him. Yep, I agree with all that completely. Um, I do just think the UFC is never going to let a title challenger's record or resume get in the way if they think they can make money. And if that's the position they feel they're in at the end of the year, some sort of wrestler versus striker type matchup that the filthy casuals can bite their teeth into. Uh, you could definitely see Bo Nickel as a, a title challenger, so that's why I love him on this list. But let's get to number one. It's that heavyweight, and it's Jelton Yeah, Almeida. so Jelton Almeida, first of all, I would like to see at light heavyweight. I think I've said this a whole bunch of times before, but, like, he, he would make such a better light heavyweight than he does a heavyweight. But meanwhile, he's killing it at heavyweight. The dude's 3-0 and in the UFC with three 
first round finishes. That's right, three first round finishes. He got ground and pound in his first fight and back to back rear naked chokes after that. His jujitsu is awesome. His boxing's awesome. He's getting a ranked opponent next in Shamil Abdurkahimov. So, like, look, I, I think there's a great chance that Jelton Almeida could be top five heavyweights or top five light heavyweights right now. As a matter of fact, I think if you ran him against Jamal Hill for the title instead of Glover, I think he'd beat Jamal Hill. Um, and, and I know that's going out on a limb to say that, but I think this dude is the real deal. I thought it for a long time. And uh, I, I think with the, the right booking, you could see him fight for either of those titles by the end of the year. Boom. Hey, let us know what you think we did at Top Turtle MMA on the social media. Social media, as some people call it. Let us know if you think we nailed this. Let us know if you think we got anything really wrong. We, of course, have the intern tracking it, and we'll revisit it at the end of the year to either pat ourselves on the back, or maybe we'll just pretend it never happened if we really missed the boat. But, Gumby, I'll tell you what's not missing the boat. It's this show, and it's rolling. Let's go somewhere next. We're going to transition we now to my interview with Felipe Bunes, who fights at LFA 148 this weekend for their flyweight title. And we're going to get to that interview in just a moment. But before we do, I have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Felipe Bunes. All right, and joining me today is Felipe Bunes, who fights Yuma Horuchi at LFA 149 for the flyweight title on January 6th. So, Felipe, I wanted to start here. You know, two years ago, you were on a three-fight losing streak. You really turned things around, and now we're in this great position. Was there something you changed to sort of help get you to this spot? Há poucos anos atrás, você estava numa numa sequência de de três derrotas, né, seguidas. E agora você vem de uma boa vitória no LFA e vai disputar o, o cinturão. O que, você mudou alguma coisa que fez você chegar nesse é, é, nessa posição que você está agora? E Seguido disso, eu venho com uma vitória em cima do Asuka aí. Acredito que eu tenho levado os três rounds, mas os árbitros deram dividido. E com certeza eu estou bem preparado para bater no Yuma. Como é, é, cortou o que você falou em relação às mudanças disso aqui? É, é eu, tive, eu cometi alguns erros no Aka, é, junto da equipe, eu corrigi esses erros. E fiz uma boa luta agora contra o Asuka, La Vispa. E eu acredito que eu nocautei e finalize o Yuma. Yeah, I made some mistakes back when I was fighting on ACA. And together with the team, we've made some changes. And I had this fight, uh, my last fight, I won all three rounds, although one of the judges was blind. And I'm ready, I, I feel... I'm very well prepared, and I'm going to knock you out this time. Absolutely. And I wanted to talk about that last fight, too, with Waskar Cruz, because, you know, it was a split decision win, despite the fact that the judges seemed to have really messed it up. Did you think the title shot was coming next after that? Sobre a sua última luta, né? Um dos juízes realmente pareceu não estava assistindo. É, foi uma boa luta. Você esperava que iria lutar pelo cinturão logo em seguida, depois dela? 
Não, é, eu sei que, que o LFA não, não dá disputa de título é, assim, de imediato. Eu tenho duas lutas na organização, uma derrota e uma vitória, mas acabou que e o ex-campeão Mota Tizio e não tinha outro cara para lutar contra o Will. Então, de certa forma, caiu de paraquedas aí. Essa antecipação pelo título. Ah, uh, não, I didn't expect to fight for the title right away because LFA is a very serious organization and they don't just hand title shots. Uh, but due to to my last win on, on the event and although I'm one and one, there were circumstances in my first loss and Yuma uh, uh, got in the, pos the position to get the title shot, but the champion signed with the UFC, so even though I just won and won, I was the next guy in line. I was one fight away to the title. And it made sense for the promotion to, to put this fight. Yeah, I agree entirely. And, and you mentioned, you know, Carlos Moda being called up to the UFC. Actually, the last seven LFA flyweight champions have actually gotten to the call to the UFC. We've got a couple who are in the top 15, one of them who's won a title. Do you sort of assume with a victory that you're the next one, you're going to be signed to the UFC or something like Contender Series with a win? Uh, campeões do UFC chegaram a... Ou campeões do LFA chegaram ao UFC, né? E, e alguns chegaram no top 10, outros chegaram a disputar título. Uh, você acha que ganhando esse cinturão, você está aí a um passo do UFC? Ou pelo menos o Contender Series, você acha que pode ser é, que vem em seguida para você? Sim, eu acho que eu tenho experiência suficiente para para estar no UFC entre os top 5. Eu acredito que após o título do LFA, eu assino com o UFC e no mais tardar, final de 2013, eu estou ali no top 10, top 5, com certeza, do UFC. Yeah, for sure. I feel that skill-wise, I'm right up there with the top 5 fighters in the weight class in the UFC. And... I hope that winning this title, the UFC is what's next. And you can be sure that signing with the UFC by the end of the year, you will see me in the top 10 in the rankings. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Now, I, I wanted to ask too, you know, being that the title does mean a lot, but also a lot of those guys got into the UFC with spectacular finishes, with like big knockouts or huge submissions or dominant performances. Do you feel extra pressure to have to get Yuma Horauchi out of there with a quick finish to get that contract next? Eu sei que vencer e o título é o que significa mais, mas muitos desses caras chegaram no UFC por performances empolgantes, né? grandes nocautes, finalizações. Você acha, você sente uma pressão a mais, você acha que há uma pressão a mais de é, é, fazer algo desse sentido contra Yuma Horihoshi para você garantir que você assina com o UFC em seguida? Cara, acho que sim. É, eu tô Estou treinando bastante para nocautear o Yuma, mas nós sabemos que a falha dele é no jiu-jitsu, que é o meu forte. E eu tenho certeza que essa luta não, não passa para as mãos dos árbitros. Ou eu nocauteio ele ou eu vou finalizar. É isso que o UFC quer. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that's why I'm training a lot to, to knock him out. But... His weakness is on his ground game, and that's what I'm specialist at. So, of course, I'm also looking to get a, a good finish 
uh, on the ground. And my end goal is DFC, so I'm going to do everything to impress and get that after. And, and now you mentioned having a weakness there for Yumahoro Uchi. You feel like it's on his ground. What do you think about him as an opponent overall? When you assess his skills, when you looked at him being your next opponent, what were your initial thoughts on him? Você falou da fraqueza dele no, no chão. Né? E, e o que, é que você pensa dele de forma geral, como, como adversário, como desafio? Qual a sua análise dele? Cara, o Yuma é um atleta que anda muito para frente, sempre buscando um nocaute. É... Poucas vezes ele tenta levar para o chão. Geralmente, quando ele está perdendo os quatro minutos do round, ele quer tentar dar aquela diferença. Mas é... eu treino com caras bem melhores do que o Yuma e eu tenho certeza absoluta que ou eu nocauteio eles, se eles sentir a mão e vir tentar me agarrar, eu vou finalizar ele muito rápido. Igual assim foi com todas as lutas que tentaram me agarrar depois que sentiu a minha mão. Yeah, he's a good fighter, but as I said, I, I see that he has some holes on, on his game, especially on the ground. And I'm training a lot to exploit those mistakes that he makes, those openings that he gives. And my, my main goal is to knock him out. You know, I want to knock him out. I feel that I can do that. And I know that he's going to feel the power of my hands. And either he will go down from that or he will try to 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 grapple with me. And if he does that, I'm going to catch him real quick. Uh, if you see some of my past fights, it happened many times. Guys felt the power of my hand, tried to to stick with me, and I finished them right after I got a, a quick submission. So uh, I envision myself winning this fight, uh, and I envision myself getting a, a finish, and that, that's what I believe is going to happen. Usually I like to end these with a prediction, but you kind of already started that for me. Do you want to get specific? Do you want to say how you get it done on January 6th? Uh, geralmente eu, eu termino a entrevista pedindo uma previsão de como o cara acha que vai ganhar a luta, mas você meio que já fez isso agora. Você hum. quer ser mais específico em como isso termina, como é que vai ser a luta no dia 6 de janeiro? Sim. É... E, o Ima, e o Ima gosta de chutar muito. É, nós estamos treinando muito contra golpe. É, em cima disso aí, ele é um cara lento, anda muito para frente e não sabe andar para trás para se defender. Eu acredito que eu acerto um bom cruzado nele e a luta vai acabar nesse momento aí. Não vai ter chance de fazer grappling. Yeah, uh, foi, foi qual round que você disse? No segundo ou terceiro round, no máximo. Yeah, I think in the second or third round at, at best, Ioma uh, is a, a little bit slow give some openings on the ground, on, on the feet too. And I'm going to catch him with a hook coming in. He likes to move forward, but he's all open. And I'm going to catch him with a hook and possibly a, a straight right after. And he's going to go down. That's how it's going to be. I don't think he's going to have time or opportunity to try and grab with me. I think he's going to be out from that. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is then Felipe Bunez, who fights Yuma Horuchi for the LFA flyweight title. On LSA 149. Uh, that's again on January 6th. Felipe, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I agradeço o tempo. Diz que gosta muito agradecido por você ter feito a entrevista. Thank you so much, my brother. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, MyBookie, Picket, 
and Maroon Social. And as a reminder, you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA on both Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm David Goodby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.